I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that. It'll help me. It'll help me be a better pastor. I'll get rid of the other cuss words and just use you. <laughs> hey, hey, get these out if you've got them on your seat around you. There's uh, these, This thing says the greatest story. I want you to know there's uh, some of these in the lobby. You can take them as drop cards and you can place them different, different places. You can give them to people in, as an invitation to come on Easter Sunday. You and I should invite somebody to church two times out of 52. There's 52 Sundays of the year. Twice a year, you ought to go through the agony <laughs> of bringing somebody to church and thinking to yourself, come on, Pastor Ross, don't screw it up for me. You ought to bring somebody to church and, and bring them and pray for them and, and, and introduce them to this community. And I just think that's really important for us to do a couple of times a year. So this is one of them. Uh, we're going to do a fabulous presentation of the gospel. As the guys were saying, it's a multimedia presentation. It will be uh, a really great Sunday for people to be here. So check that out. Hey, just a reminder, Easter egg hunt, not on Easter. When is it? March 25th. That's right, the weekend before. Okay, ushers, they have message notes for you. If you want to uh, get a hold of those and write something down while we're Sharing the scriptures, I think it's a good habit. I think it's a good practice. And so you can grab one, just raise your hand, and they'll get, one, get them to you. So as you, as you know, we've been uh, on this series called Life in the Balance, where we're studying the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to a group of people who are in a city much like Austin, very eclectic, across the, the spectrum of economics and society, the, the cultural distinctives, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles who have, who have really come together as believers in Rome. And he's writing to them, trying to help them understand what God has done for them. And it's a, quite a long letter. Uh, all, Bible scholars say that Romans is a, is a very deep and um, very dense sort of theological letter. And so we're... We're right in the middle of it now, getting close to the middle, and, and it's a powerful and important letter that God has used over the centuries to change the course of history. People have, have studied this book, and it's led to revivals, both personal and corporate revivals, and I'm praying that God will do the same thing here at One Chapel as we go through this. And so I want you to read along with us, uh, even this, this week, spring break, take a few minutes, um, read through uh, a few chapters of the book of Romans. It'll really be helpful for you. And so uh, let's dive in. We're in Romans chapter 5, and... Um, and Paul the Apostle has been working through the first four chapters, and he kind of makes the handoff. You know, there weren't chapter delineations in the original letter, but, but as, as they've uh, sort of defined it for easy, um, uh, they, you, the Bible... The chapters were put in afterwards and to help us find the places in the Bible better. And so when you get to chapter 5... <laughs> When you get to chapter 5, Paul in chapter 4 is talking about a family of faith and the miracle heritage that you and I have. That Abraham is the father, and he, and he goes to great lengths trying to, trying to get people to get this, the father of the Jewish people and the father of the Gentiles who don't really get along too well. 
This is really exceptionally hard for the Jewish people to take because they felt like they were God's chosen and special, and they're, they're having trouble understanding that God's original plan was for all the nations to come to him. He was just going to use them to bring, bring his message to the world. And he does that in Jesus Christ. And so, so he's saying, you have to come to this miracle family of faith, and God is going to do miracles in you, but he only does it by faith. You only belong by faith, not by works, not by uh, obeying all the laws. And he hands it off to chapter 5, and he's, and he's right in the middle of this idea, and he says, look, this is so good, what God has done when he's given you something by faith. And he's poured out his grace on everyone. It's so good that even in trials and persecutions and struggle, even when you face hardships, and he says, even when you have to persevere, you can be confident because of how perseverance works in our character. And character then yields hope, and hope does not disappoint. And, he, and he, so he goes through the first half of chapter 5 with this kind of idea, and he's, he's foreshadowing how incredible God's grace is. But before he gets there, we're going we're gonna to make a little visit to some really meaningful and challenging questions that Paul brings up here in chapter 5. And so let's pray before we dive in at verse 12. Father, we just ask for your leadership and we allow you to guide us now by your Holy Spirit. Make the words come alive to us, deep in our hearts, so that we can understand and so that we can obey. We thank you for this today. We invite you. Shine the light of your word into every corner, every dark place of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 5, verse 12 we're going to pick up the story. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Now, I'm going to read a big chunk here, and so I want you to, I want you to go with me, okay? I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture, and I don't want you to fall asleep. I know you lost that hour last night. Okay, but don't try to get it back here. <laughs> Verse 13 says, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespasses of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace 
and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Are you still with me? Verse 18, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. <sighs> Man, we should just leave. That's it. That's, I, I think you got it. <laughs> no, you don't have it. <laughs> this is probably one of the most complex passages in the book of Romans. Because it is here that Paul dives into the philosophy and the history of humankind. That he lays out an argument for why we have problems. Why you and I have problems, why people in our city of Austin have problems. And he contrasts the work of Adam with the work of Jesus Christ. And he says that the work of Christ is so much greater than what Adam did. At one point or another, we've all kind of ask the questions that come up when you read a passage like this. What is this about? How does this work? What, what is it about Adam? And if we weren't, if we haven't asked many questions, I, I think sometimes other people have questions. We need to be ready to answer them. And so, because we're not the only ones to wonder how all this works. And so let's break it down kind of verse by verse. I'm going to, I'm going to give you four questions. The first question is, why is there evil in the world? Why is there evil in the world? We'll start at verse 12 again. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. See, sin, Paul's answer is that sin entered the world through this one man, and, and that led to all forms of evil entering the world. And they entered through this one man. Because of his disobedience, sin enters the world. That man was Adam. Thanks a lot, bro. Right? Like, he did this, but if we could just be really honest for a second, we just pause, if I could just be super honest with you for a moment, wasn't it really the woman? No? No, no, probably not. Listen, there's a whole lot we could talk about here, but what we have to see is Adam and Eve, what did he do? What was his disobedience? Paul's talking about it. He says he, it's, he's talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. And the story is he and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that he told them not to eat of. Right? This is the story. And we tend to think, what idiots? Like, God said you can eat anything in the whole garden. You can eat of any tree. There's one tree, just one tree I don't want you to eat from. And what do they do? They go and eat the very thing that God's told them not to. What disappointments. I mean, I would never so blatantly disobey what God said I should, shouldn't do. Of course, how ridiculous that is. Of course I do. 
you do, we do, we all do, isn't it so typical as we see the story of Adam and Eve unfold that whenever there's a prohibition, we immediately go for it? Or, or it's, it's against the law, <laughs> I want to do it. I just want to press a little harder on the gas pedal, only about four miles over. <laughs> right? Come on. Give it to me. Come on. Confess it. Confess it. Yep. Four miles over, right? Because you can't do five, right? Because why? No, you get caught. Yeah, you get caught if you go five or six too much. Four miles over. Want to break the rule just a little. Mom said, don't do that. It's happening. This is, this is human nature. I don't know if you know this, but I have five kids. I see this played out every dinner time. We have, we have some rules at dinner. Everybody's got to share a story uh, of their day. And, and so we talk about that. And, and, and there, there's kind of constant bickering and talking and then grumpiness and then, you know, laughing. And, and there's all these things. And we have some rules about that dinner time. And then people don't want to share. And then you got to make them share. And then it's really annoying. And, and, then, and then they'll, like, get on each other. And then something will happen like, like Grace will be really teasing Owen. And he'll like totally react to her and it'll kind of reach an escalation level. And I'll say, Grace, stop teasing your brother. And out of Owen's mouth is, yeah, Grace. <laughs> and then I say to Owen, Owen, I do not need your help. This is one of the rules of the house. Let the parents be the parents. You be the child, you be the brother, be the nice brother. If you can, I know it's hard, but don't correct, you don't need to correct your sister, let me do it. And then somebody else at the table will say, yeah, Owen. <laughs> and you think that I'm kidding, like I'm joking, like I'm extra, no, this actually happens. They know the rules, they wanna break them, they wanna, they wanna get at something. That's exactly what a Adam and Eve did. God said no, and they messed it up. They disobeyed God. And Paul is saying it was the initial act of disobedience by Adam that allowed sin to enter the world. So when Adam sinned, evil entered. It entered his heart. It entered his relationships. It entered the world that he was inhabiting. But the, this isn't quite the whole picture. I, I, and we don't have time to, like peel apart th this question in every layer, but I can't move on without saying that there's also an underlying reason why evil is in the world. It's important to understand that, that the, the, the backstory is that God wanted a relationship. Everybody say relationship. God wanted a relationship with Adam and Eve, and he wants one with you and me. That was his, that was his point. And so he was willing, now here's the thing, he was willing, God was willing to risk the chaos that would ensue if they didn't choose him. God's risk was giving Adam and Eve a choice. It was, he did it, God's risk for relationship. That's the underlying reason. God's risk is about relating to us and, and knowing us and him and us knowing him 
and, and allowing uh, there to be a relationship that, is, that blossoms. And, and he wanted that with Adam and Eve. And it's such an incredible story. They resist him and they take life into their own hands. They choose the knowledge of good and evil as a way to life rather than God's way to life. And something happens. This brings up a, a lot of questions and sometime we'll do an extensive study of the book of Genesis. I've kind of got it in my heart. I want to I do something about those first few chapters. But here, Paul just kind of, he says, Adam is the origin of it. And evil enters the world through his sinfulness. And then Paul moves right along to the second question, which is, why do people die? Why do people die? Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. In this way, death came unto all men because all men sinned. This is interesting, isn't it? Sin, <laughs> sin and death are like two diabolical twins. They are diabolical twins <laughs> like the Wonder Twins. Anybody remember the Wonder Twins? Diabolical twins of sin and death, not quite as fun as the wonder twins. Where you see one, you will always find the other. Some of you are still like, wonder twins, what is that? What, what's wonder? Wonder twin power? Activate. Form of? Water. Exactly. Okay. Let's move on. It's a cartoon we grew up on. The reason... All right, the sin and death, you'll always, where you find one, you'll find the other. The reason is because death is a direct result of sin. Romans 6, 23, which we'll get to next week, says the wages or the result of sin is death. But then we got to add, what is death? The scriptures teach us that there are actually three kinds of death. <laughs> and that's so exciting because I thought one was bad enough. But there are three. So number one is physical death. Physical death, we're all familiar with this one. We're talking about our bodies. One day our body will finally call it quits. The tent will collapse. It's already begun to wear out a little here and there. I can see it in my own life. Gravity is having its way with me. And it's going to happen to every one of us one day. Physical death is universal. We will all die. I'm not sure if Walt Disney did, but, but, but everyone else has died. Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So just in case you missed it somewhere, one day your body's going to give out. But that's not the way, that's not the way God intended it to be. That wasn't his plan. When God created the world, he created it perfect. Death wasn't part of his perfect creation. Theoretically, Adam would have lived on and on and on and on and on. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, death did enter into the world. And in the story, God actually banishes them from the garden. And while we don't know everything about that part of the story, I think we can see it as an act of love that would, that would be uh, something that God did to rescue them from death and sin. 
in the scripture, it actually says we need to move them out of the garden so that they don't eat of the tree of life and therefore live forever perpetually in a state of sinfulness and death working in them. Like there's some kind of mystery there as you peel it back. And there, the kindness of God, he wanted to conquer sin and death, not keep, it, keep them locked in a pattern of sin and death forever. Check this out. Genesis 2.17 says, God said to Adam and Eve, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Quick question. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree, did they immediately keel over? No, they kept, they kept living, but death was going on inside them. They kept, they didn't, they didn't immediately go out and buy the box condo. Oh, never mind. It's about being cremated. Okay, so, so they, they didn't actually live on for, they, they actually lived on for several hundred years, and what happened to them was something was going on inside them, and they passed it on, and what happened to their kids was worse than what had happened to them. There's something called spiritual death. Spiritual death is the major consequence of sin. When Adam sinned, something died inside of him. His tendency was passed on to everybody in the human race because all of us are born spiritually dead. This is why Jesus comes and says in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and life to the full. You don't need life if you already have it. Being alive is not the same as having life inside you. That's why so many people are filling their lives with garbage, with junk, with addictions, with all this stuff, and they think it's going to help them to feel more alive because everybody's trying to feel more alive because they've got death in them. There's only one solution to that, and Jesus has it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. You were followers of the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now work, and those who are disobedient. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, for by grace you have been saved. Are you guys still with me? Here's what Paul's saying. Before you put your faith in Jesus, you're spiritually dead. All of us are in the same boat. And then there's one more death, and it's eternal death. Eternal death is when you die physically, and you're still dead spiritually. This is a bit of a crude equation, but I'm going to give it to you because I think it's generally uh, understood this way. Physical death plus spiritual death equals eternal death. Let's go back to the second big question Paul is tackling here in verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came unto all men because all men sinned. Paul's point is the reason we all die because we're all people who sin. The fact that all of us are going to die should point us to the reality that all have sinned. If you think about Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's two boys. There's something that happened there where death started to reign, which is what Paul says in this passage. Death begins to reign. And so the third question Paul takes us to it's really, it's funny because I think this is how we work as humans. And he could, he could hear his hearer, his readers, the people that 
uh, he was writing to, they're, they're, the wheels were turning in their heads, and they're like, you know, you, you ask the second question, why do people, why is there death in the world, why do people die? And then you kind of ask the same question in a different way in the third question. <laughs> it's really the same as the second, and it's, has everyone really sinned? Has everyone really sinned? What about, what about those who've never heard about Jesus? What about those who haven't yet been born? I mean, come on, I'm a pretty good person. Well, Romans 13 through 14 says, for before the law was given, check this out, sin was in the world. What? Sin was in the world before the law was even given. But sin is not taken into account when there is no law. In other words, there's no rules. So you, you're just kind of living by whatever you think you ought to do. Nevertheless, death reigned, here it is, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. There was no command not to kill. Cain killed Abel, and death reigned. Sin was alive and well. It says, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even the, over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Now, did you notice that, that as Paul says this, he doesn't say sins, plural, he says sin, because he uses sin as he's talking about what to call, what we call our sin nature. Everybody say sin nature. It's kind of like this. If a pregnant woman has an infection, can she pass that infection on to her children? Right? She can, of course. That's essentially what Paul is talking about here. The Bible says Adam is the father of us all. And when Adam sinned, he was carrying the genes of everybody who was to be born. That infection called sin has been passed on to every single one of us. I know you have your doubts, but all you have to do is look at little children. They seem so innocent. And in a way, they, they are innocent, but as, they, as they're taken care of, as they're fed and clothed and cared for, about 18 months, you can see it begin. Two years old. If you're a parent, it makes perfect sense. You've never had to teach your kids to be selfish. We never had to teach them. They knew it really early. It was, it was in them. You didn't teach your kids to lie. It's a phase. I, like, I think almost all kids go through it. It's like there's this season where, why are you lying? I don't know. I just like to lie. <laughs> it's a thing. It's in you. You didn't show your kids how to be disobedient. They were perfect at it. They were really good at it. This should make perfect sense to most of us as well because how many times you found yourself doing the very opposite of what you want to do? You want to do something else, but you find yourself not able to. Paul's going to talk about that in Romans 7. He's going to take a crack at that whole process. But that's because you, it's because you have a sinful nature that's part of you. The scriptures say that we sin because we have a natural sin nature. We naturally go the wrong way. We do the wrong thing. We aren't basically good people. I know this is shocking. We live in a time where this is... This is Countercultural. We aren't basically good people who sometimes do bad things. We're, we are basically flawed people whose flaws reveal themselves repeatedly in acts of sin. In other words, we sin because we are sinners. I'm brilliant. 
that's our nature, and everyone ever born has this nature in them. So, so the fourth question Paul lands on here is, is it fair then for the whole world to be condemned because one man sinned? This doesn't seem quite right. Is it really fair? Verse 15 says, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, if, if the many died by the trespass of one man, this is the big question, is it fair <laughs> that I suffer for Adam's sin? Dude, I wasn't even there. <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. I would have said to those guys, hey, don't take that fruit. That's not good. Don't do it. Is that fair? Paul's answer to that is, yep. It's not only fair, is what Paul says, but it's wise and gracious of God to allow that death could even occur through one man. What? Excuse me? Well, here's why. If God took each of us, you and me, and we he took us on a case-by-case -case basis and evaluated our lives, he'd still come to the conclusion that nobody's perfect. Any perfect people in the room? No. That's the conclusion we would come to and the conclusion God would come to. Is there anybody who could claim that? No. We've all sinned. And this is what Paul is describing in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Romans. He's, he's really painting the picture of why this happens. Are you guys still with me? Still with me? I know. I know it's getting tough now. Come on. It feels, it feels a little hot in this room. If somebody's helpful to me by turning the cool air up, that'll help others too. Okay. <laughs> so here's the second answer, right? Here's the second answer. By allowing the entire world to be condemned in one man. God then was able to save the whole world through one man, Jesus Christ himself. Romans 15, check it out. Romans 5:15. it says, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more? Everybody say it with me. How much more? Boy, you guys, say it again. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? One man brought total condemnation into the world. But one man can bring total salvation to the world as well. But listen, even, even though Jesus' act brought universal salvation, it's not automatic. It doesn't just automatically happen. Some people believe that because everybody sinned because of Adam, now everybody's saved because of Jesus. That thought is called universalism. They say, uh, they say our job isn't to go out and save anybody. Our job is just to tell them they're saved, and then they just, because they don't know it. And then they'll start acting like it. Some churches believe that, but that is not what the Apostle Paul is saying right here. What he's saying right here in verse 17, if you look at it, he says, how much more will those who receive? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness, now check it out, the gift of righteousness, what is that word? next word right there? Reign. It is the gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. 
He wants you to reign in life through Jesus, but you have to receive it. Three very important little words in that verse. Those who receive. Those who receive. We do have a part to play. We do have a responsibility. Those people are, are, are almost, right? Jesus had made salvation available to everyone, and so it's easy. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't happen by any works that any human can do. But it is a response. It, it is something you must receive. You must receive it, take hold of it. Which means just because you were baptized as an infant doesn't actually mean anything for your eternal destiny. Just because you went through confirmation doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. Just because you go to church, you call yourself a Christian, those things do not mean you have a profound and meaningful and life-changing relationship with God. See, that's something different. Verse 17 says, those who receive, there's still an act of faith on our part. You have to make the decision. You have to take the step of faith. So let's go down to verse 20, and we'll just come to the end here. It says, the law was added so that the trespass might increase. What? The law was added so there were already trespasses. There was already sin, but the law was added so it would be illuminated. The brilliant author and scholar N.T. Wright, he describes it this way. Do you, for, for some of you, you won't have any idea what I'm talking about. It's like I'm talking another language. But those of you who are old enough, do you remember slide projectors? Slideshows, right? You take a picture, you get it developed, and you've got this little tiny frame with a little tiny, like, picture that you can kind of see through. And you put it, you load them all in the projector, and then you, I don't know, push the button or something and it moves and then, and then the project there's this light that shines through the projector through the picture and it gets huge on the wall it's a tiny little picture and it's huge on the projector screen this is what the law did for sin it showed it it revealed it if you didn't know there was a problem there is here it is it's as clear it's so obvious all you have to do is look around the world God is not the author of all this pain and all this frustration. This, it, it is alive and well in people, and God is interested in rescuing people from it. And so in verse 20, he says, The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace all the more. Grace increased all the more. Paul uses a word here he also uses in 2 Corinthians 7, 4. It essentially says, grace Superabounded. <laughs> Super everybody say it. Come on, it's fun. Superabounded. It's like so much grace. It's super. It's amazing. It's superhuman. It's beyond anything you could produce or get. It's probably a word uh, Bible scholars think that that Paul probably made it up. He coined the term because they can't find it anywhere else in the original Greek language. And so um, what God has done through Jesus is far more than what we think it is. The idea here is when, when, the, when the devil or when people would do more and more bad in the world, God would increase his grace greater and greater. What Paul is saying here, here's in one phrase, here it is at the end of the outline, it's where sin grows, grace explodes. 
Where sin grows, grace explodes. And then so I hear some of you who've been in Sunday school or you've been at church for a while and you're thinking about, oh, well, does that mean we can like sin and do whatever we want? Ah, that's chapter six next week. Because that seems to make sense. Like if, 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 if grace increases when sin increases, shouldn't we sin a lot? Talk about that next week. But here's the thing I want you to see. God is not just matching what the devil does or what people do. He's not just matching and saying, oh, I'm going to replace something with another thing. He's not just matching it. He's causing exponential growth and abounding more and more, an energy, a life force. It's not a one-to-one -one comparison. It's not like, oh, this is sin and this is grace, and he just kind of moves them around. It's, it's kind of like the, if we think about it like this, if sin is a garden hose, Jesus has a water cannon, <laughs> right? It's like so, it replaces it. It totally, it totally overwhelms it. If, if, if you've got a little candle, God's got an entire fireworks show. If you've got a book, God's got a whole library. If, you, if you've got a broken down bicycle, God's got a brand new F-150 Ford King Ranch truck. Paul is highlighting the fact that grace and life are infinitely more powerful than sin and death. And this is the heart of the gospel, my friends. If you don't believe this, then you will come to believe that sin is more powerful, that you can never get out, that your addictions, are, 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 they have you. You'll never escape them. If you don't understand that the life force of God that he's placed inside of you by his grace and by his purpose, if you don't believe that that has a, a, a re-energizing, super abounding force in your life, then at some point you'll stop repenting. And you'll just say, oh, I'm just, I'm just a failure. I'm just flawed. I'm just keep being a sinner. I must be a sinner. So you have to have faith to believe that God's grace works in you. That no matter what your experience or your past or the issue that you're wrestling with now or the secret that no one else knows, no, regardless of those things, God is not just sitting by. He has put something in motion. <laughs> and it is the life of God. It is the grace of God that you have to return to again and again and again when, you, when you're thinking that you can't. Verse 21 says, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What he's saying is God has done it and he will do it. He has done it and he will do it. He'll keep doing it. This is the sum of the whole story to this point in the letter. Instead of the reign of sin, which is static and cold, we have the reign of grace, full of energy and possibility, moving God's plan forward, where God will usher in his kingdom, a new creation where all wrongs will be made right. And we're not just talking about eternal life as in some kind of, oh, I'm going to go somewhere like in a city in the clouds. That's not the eternal life Paul's talking about here. He's talking about a bodily resurrection where we will share in the new heavens and the new earth that w the world liberated from the decay and corruption of sin that we live in now. It's coming. Don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't fear. His life, his grace, it's working. It's working. Never lose sight of this fact. This world was perfect when it started. It's been kind of been going downhill ever since. 
The good news is that wherever sin increased, God said, I'll just explode grace in abundance. And I think it's so vital that we believe this for our city. See, if you don't believe this, you're not going to be compelled to share it with someone. If this is just kind of like a one-to-one thing and you just, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, oh, there's nothing else going on besides that, you're going to have a hard time being motivated to tell somebody else about what God does. And I think we have to understand this is vital for us to believe for our culture and it is vital for us to believe for our current generation of people, young people. Listen, God says, I won't just, here's what he says, I won't just reverse sin's destructive effect on the world. I'll make grace and life increase at such a rate and with such energy that nothing will be able to stop it. Check out this video right here. My generation has no future, and I refuse to believe that I have been given permission to live and I am free. I realize this may be a shock, but God has a purpose for my life is actually a lie. And I believe money and popularity are priorities. In my lifetime, I will tell the people closest to me, I have my priorities straight and I must hold on to my pride. I surrender the idea that my actions will have an everlasting impact. In the future, lukewarm beliefs will be the norm. No longer can it be said that my peers and I care about our faith. It will be evident that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It is foolish to presume that there is hope. But what if we change that? What if we shatter those expectations? What if we flip the script? There is hope. It is foolish to presume that my generation is apathetic and lethargic. It will be evident that my peers and I care about our faith. No longer can it be said that lukewarm beliefs will be the norm. In the future, my actions will have an everlasting impact. I surrender the idea that I must hold on to my pride. I have my priorities straight. And in my lifetime, I will tell the people closest to me, money and popularity are priorities. It's actually a lie, and I believe God has a purpose for my life. I realize this may be a shock, but I have been given permission to live, and I am free. And I refuse to believe that my generation has no future. Isn't that cool? Listen, he doesn't just reverse it. He changes everything. He changes everything. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just bow your head for a moment because things might look bleak for you. I understand that things may look bleak for your family. Things may look bleak at school. Things may look bleak in a number of areas in your life. You may have a, you may have a, a secret you're holding. You, you may just be so discouraged. 
so overwhelmed, I want to encourage you that God has the solution. Sin does not have to own you. Death does not have to reign. Life, he wants it to reign in us. So I want you to come to the Lord's table and I, and I want you to see that the life giver, Jesus himself, came to the planet to illustrate this, that Jesus came to illustrate the supernatural, superabounding grace. He did it through miracles, and he did it through healing, and he, he did it through transformation in people's hearts and lives. He went all the way to the cross, and he took on the sins of the world, yours and mine, past, present, and future, and he took on everything that was laid on him, and he, and he took it willingly, and he became the sacrifice for sin. He became the one who stood in our place. He took our place. He went to the grave. And then by the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God, this life force that came into him from his father, he was raised to life. And that same life he wants to share with you and for me. And he wants us to experience it by the Holy Spirit here in this place. So would you come to this table with faith, believing that you could bring your sin, you could bring your shame, you could bring whatever it is that's holding you back from receiving him. And you could take this bread, which illustrates his body, symbolizes his brokenness for your healing. This bread that symbolizes provision for your life. And this cup that represents the blood of Christ that was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. His life right here, body and blood. He wants to give you new life. That's what this represents. Would you come and receive it? Father, we come to you and we, we just come to this table with expectation. And some of us have been wrestling for a long time with issues in our lives and with sin. And so, Lord, we come to you, and we, we, we bring it to you. We, we relinquish control of our lives. We, we offer you what we have, the sinfulness of our own hearts, and we then trust you. We yield to you. We repent. We turn away, and we receive what you have for us, life and more life. Thank you. Jesus' name.